Hey, this is Tiffany Aurora. You're listening to the Entrepreneurs and Artists Podcast. Welcome back to this week's episode of the Entrepreneurs and Artists Podcast. Michael Amato is joining me today, and I'm excited to introduce you to him. But before I do that, just a quick reminder that if you're not already following this podcast on your favorite podcast app, if you would take a few seconds to do so, that is a great way to support the show. And you also get notifications and automatic downloads of new episodes when they drop. If you like what you hear, If you would be willing to invest a couple of minutes in writing a review or rating the show on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, that would also be deeply appreciated. Okay, so let me introduce you to Mike. Michael Amato is the founder of Fresh Flow Aquatics, an owner-operated small business that provides a range of services, all to support all-natural freshwater ecosystem aquariums. From design and installation all the way to digital consults, Fresh Flow Aquatics can help you design and create the perfect aquarium for your home or office. In this conversation, Mike and I talked about how aquariums give you this incredible opportunity to preserve a moment, the memory of a specific time and place, by intentionally designing an aquascape that draws inspiration from that memory. It's the super cool thing that Mike does, and he is available to do it personally And he can also coach you through how to do this with a home or office aquarium of your own through his digital consults. So if that is of interest to you, check that out. Listen to that part of the conversation and then reach out to Mike. We also talked about the ups and downs of owning a small business, the importance of surrounding yourself with people who support you, and the very real reality that there are big financial pressures that come with owning your own business and living an entrepreneurial life. I'm so delighted to introduce you to Mike Amato and Freshflow Aquatics. So I am very excited to introduce Michael Amato, who is joining me today on the Entrepreneurs and Artists podcast. Mike, welcome to the show. Hey, what's up, everyone? Thanks for having me. So Mike is the founder and owner of Fresh Flow Aquatics, an all-natural freshwater ecosystem aquarium business. I'm not sure if I got that quite right. Mike, you can correct me if I, if I missed anything there. Yeah, um, no, you got that right, definitely. I'd love to just start off by hearing about one of your first memories of interacting with an aquarium. Like, I'm curious what that moment was for you. Where were you? What did you see? And when you think back on that moment, what sort of feelings come come to mind for you? I actually got started with aquariums um, with my dad as a little kid. Memories of aquariums go back almost as far as I can remember in general. I had a little turtle tank and a little salamander tank in my bedroom as a kid. At that point, we were living in Japan um, because I grew up abroad, even though I'm American. Yeah, we, you know, we didn't have a car because it's it's like Tokyo's crazy busy city. 
So I would hop on the back of the bike with my dad and we'd go to the fish store, which was kind of a crazy place. They had like a, a monkey when you'd walk in that would greet you. Yeah, I really loved going there and looking at all the critters. Uh, it's more than just fish, you know, there's insects and snakes and plants and I'm maybe not as into the idea of a monkey nowadays, but as a kid, I always enjoyed it. So yeah, memories of fish tanks go far back for me. And I know that my dad even had one before I could remember going to the fish store with him. Yeah. So you have you have a YouTube channel, I know, and I've seen a bunch of the videos that are on there and we'll drop a link to that channel in the show notes so listeners can hop on over and see that but um you've got a whole bunch of videos on aquascaping and i remember that one of the videos that i watched it showed sort of the progression of laying out this tank where it was like you um i mean i have the terminology quite right but you sort of laid out all the aquascaping in the shape of a triangle and then you put kind of the greenery around and then over the course of like three to six months it sort of all flourished and grew into the tank and it became this beautiful amazing tank and i'm curious like where do you come up with your ideas for aquascaping and for the design of a particular tank where do those come from one of my biggest sources of inspiration he's not alive anymore his name is takashi amano but he kind of pioneered what we think of as modern freshwater aquarium. You know, when I was a kid, they were little boxes that looked kind of grimy and they smelled a little funky. They weren't, they weren't really showpiece aquariums like they are nowadays. And the idea that Takashi Amano brought in, he was a nature photographer before he did aquariums, was to draw inspiration from nature and I'm a big outdoors person. I like to go hiking and camping. You know, that's where I tend to relax the most and let loose. You can draw inspiration from really big picturesque views as well as really small ones. I remember one of the most inspirational small scenes that I saw was this log that fell into a river. And from one angle, the log looked completely dead and inert because the tree was dead. But as I moved around the other side, I saw that it had been hollowed out in part of it. And there were a bunch of plants and moss growing in it. And there were even some flowers that actually inspired my, my big tank that I have at home today, even though it's quite different from how it looked in nature. But the idea of that log falling and creating life gave me the idea to put a big log in my fish tank and then create life around it. I think the reason a lot of us keep aquariums or nature aquariums, planted aquariums, is because it reminds us of nature, which is somewhere we go to relax and escape whatever's going on in our lives. You know, the stresses of living in a city or whatever. Sometimes you can draw inspiration from a really incredible view of a mountain range or even something as small as a log. The perfect aquarium design is laying right in front of you. I, I love that. And I, I love the idea of designing an aquarium based on based on a moment, really kind of like taking this moment in time that brought you to this a space of being centered or the space of joy or whatever the case may be and and taking that that memory and making it into a living moment in a tank that's kind of amazing that that's even a possibility yeah it's really it's really fun i think a lot of people don't realize how incredible freshwater aquariums can really be 
I love the idea of thinking about an aquarium as a piece of art, which may, I mean, maybe in the aquarium world, that's sort of common, but I know I was, I was, as you were talking, I was thinking back to my own childhood. And I think we only had one aquarium that I can remember. Remember my sister and I had uh, each had a fish and I don't think either one of them lived beyond a couple of weeks. And we definitely didn't do, the tank wasn't designed in like the mm -hmm. intentional way that, that you do, or in an intentional way that sort of brings, um, like the soothing and centering aspects of nature inside into a tank so yeah that's really that's really cool what made you decide to turn this passion of yours into a business and and i asked i asked this question because i mean our so this is the entrepreneurs and artists show and a lot of our listeners either have their own businesses or are thinking about starting one and i you know i'm one of those people who definitely doesn't believe that every hobby needs to be turned into a business as huge of a proponent as i am of entrepreneurship i think it's very good as humans for us to have some hobbies that are just just for fun they just kind of speak to our soul and we don't need to monetize them but at the same time there's something so amazing about taking something you love and turning it into a business business. Um, and so I'm just curious if you could talk a little bit about like the tipping point. What was it that made you think, okay, like this is, this is it. I'm, I'm going to turn this into a business. This isn't just a hobby for me. This is actually a business. Yeah. Well, I definitely remember that the tipping point was during COVID. I used to work as a biologist at Colorado State University. And during COVID, my field work went away because, you know, travel restrictions and whatnot. And I was stuck doing desk work, which is totally the, the not... pain in your voice as you say yeah. that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I don't mind doing some desk work. That's fine. You know, that's sure. part of owning a business as well and YouTubing and yep. being a scientist. But yep. the kind of desk work I was doing was like editing resource management plans and mm -hmm. legal jargon. And oh, it was just soul draining. So I decided to start up this business and I did it part-time for a while. And then, you know, just as a side hustle, a few hours a week. And then gradually I shifted. I picked up a part-time job. But actually in between that, I worked as uh, an executive assistant learning how to run a business because that's something I'm still struggling with often, unlike aquariums, which I feel very confident at. And yeah, it just gradually shifted, but it's been something that I wanted to do virtually my whole adult life. And I never really had the confidence till I got older and realized like, hey, I have friends that have businesses. I, I worked for people who have businesses who are really not that awesome. If they can do it, then I can hopefully figure <laughs> it out, right? Like, um, I think it's just really daunting it, or it has always been daunting to me, but being bored with my job gave me that push to give it a shot. And also having that security net of having a full-time income, it gave me the confidence to know, well, like, what's the worst thing that could happen? If I mess this up, then I've wasted some of my time. And even then, maybe it's not wasted. I've learned some stuff. I've made some connections. Yeah. But I'm really glad that I did do that because it's grown into something that I can almost support myself with now. I love that way of looking at it, like thinking about even even if it doesn't turn out the way that you hope, you still learn something from it. You know, I mean, it's the I think the growth that comes out of building a new business is 
amazing and it's really hard to replicate anywhere else not to say that there aren't great jobs and great fits for jobs for other people but but it's, it's very intense <laughs> yeah and uh, it changed i think it changes you as a person the whole entrepreneurial journey definitely changes you as a person yeah i i agree definitely there's some things like i used to not have a hard time turning my brain off with work because it wasn't my business and i'm like very contractual you hire me for 40 hours a week that's what you get same way, I'm not going to ask for more money. I'm not going to put more in. But with my business, um, yeah, I'm always thinking about stuff and what can I do next? What can I improve on? Should I be watching TV right now or should I be working? You know, that's the hardest thing to really figure out is the balance. Yeah. That, so that balance and that... Uh, um... Well, I'm, so I'm going to go a slightly different way with that because I I am of the opinion that there is no such thing as a balanced life, which you are <laughs> you are very free to disagree with me on. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but here's what I do believe. Here I think that there is such a thing as finding a rhythm in life, mm -hmm. and the rhythm sort of corresponds with like your personality and your values and what you want to hold. The, sort of the biggest spaces in your life, you know, like how much how much of your life you want to be devoted to a particular work or a type of um, life pursuit. How much you want devoted to the pe certain people in your life, etc. Um, but I'd love to delve into that because this I and mean, this is one of the biggest things that I hear from entrepreneurs, and I hear this from artists too, quite frankly, is the whole like, how how do I find that balance or that rhythm? How do I build it? Like what what sort of thing should I be looking out for that sort of signal to me, hey, it's I'm, I'm heading in the wrong direction. <laughs> um, mm -hmm. I think it's really easy to kind of fall into that whole like workaholic thing or not even necessarily workaholism, but it's just easy to be sort of all consumed by it because it's not only is it your not only are you building this new thing, but it's ideally something you enjoy, right? I mean, that's why most of us entrepreneurs get into get into building a business in the first place. So yeah, could you just maybe explore that a little bit? Like what sort of things have you noticed as you've been building your business over the last several years? What sort of things have you noticed about like little markers of, hey, I'm getting maybe a little bit off, I need to refocus or just maybe habits or behaviors that you've built into your day-to-day -day routine that help you lead a more balanced life or a life with a, a rhythm that associates with what you want out of life? Yeah, well, I. I thinking I'm thinking particularly about part of that question when you mentioned artists maybe have a hard time and I think maybe that's because you know the same with my business my hobby is also my business so the same way an artist or myself you know after they've cleaned aquariums or painted paintings all day they're like oh I'm going to go home and work on some of my my sketches or whatever I got a lot of aquariums at home. So when I'm done cleaning other people's, I come home and do mine as well. But I actually really enjoy cleaning aquariums, which is why I'm well suited for this job. I don't, I like getting my hands dirty. It's therapeutic for me. It's, it's a way to relax. I put on some TV, usually YouTube of other people doing fish stuff. So I'm in like this aquarium multiverse where they're just everywhere. Um, it's pretty awesome. I love the idea of an aquarium multiverse. That's fantastic. Yeah, I would. Yeah, that's yeah, that's my dream. <laughs> but it, it, it's, it sounds a little bit like I mean, this is where you where you come to your flow state and you, you just you found it. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's in the name that's fresh amazing. flow. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> literally. Um, yeah. In terms of finding a the way you said it rhythm. I think the way you described it is kind of how I see a balance as well, because that balance is different for everyone. But for me, one of the biggest things 
I wouldn't say I've succeeded at, but I'm trying to be better about is taking intentional time to not think about my business. So I mentioned, you know, going hiking and not having cell reception as much as I'd like to say that I am very good at getting out and escaping. I'm not, which is why I need that help from being disconnected. But even then I find myself thinking about like, oh, what am I going to do tonight when I go back and what a I'm going to finish filming or editing this video or my newest ad that I want to try. I think one of the healthiest ways to recharge is to really not think about that. But it's it's kind of a crazy thought to think you really have to put effort into relaxing. You know, it's um, it seems counterproductive, like, oh, this isn't relaxing, trying to relax. But just like anything in life, once you've created a habit, you kind of have to work at undoing it or creating a new one. And once you get to that point, it's usually for the better. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's a really good point about habits and that we don't we don't just break an old habit, we have to replace it with something. I think that's that's an important note. And it's interesting, I, I have also found that sometimes, it's gonna, it's gonna sound so dumb. Um, I've also found sometimes that if, if I'm having a really hard time turning my brain off or um, just, putting myself in a space where I feel like I can recharge and stop thinking about a particular work-related thing, um, that sometimes I have to make it a part of my to-do list, which is kind of silly, <laughs> but I'm like, no, and I'll, I'll write like, not only just like rest, but like recharge, like the actual words. Like I have to find a space where I can recharge. Like I have to come out of this feeling more energized than I went in. And, I, and it doesn't get crossed off the list until I find that space. And sometimes it's fairly easy to do that. And then other times it just, it takes longer or I got to I got to kind of play around with different ways to do that. But it's just a, a silly reality. Yeah, I think I think a lot of us are there, even people who don't who aren't entrepreneurs, you know, stresses of life, you know. Yeah, that's true. That skill is certainly something that could benefit everybody. It's a hard one, though. I'm curious if is if you if you think about the last couple of years, if there are particular like work related habits, I mean, we just talked about like needing to um, like turn off the work brain for a little bit, but have you found that there are any of your habits related to work that have needed to shift or change as your business has grown? And I, I say this because one of the things that I see a lot in, especially in like new business owners, first time business owners and small business owners is that for the ones that are able to get a business off the ground, they often have a certain set of habits that help them do that, help them launch a business. But then often those habits don't serve them very well as the business starts to scale. And so it's it's just a reality of owning a business that your habits have to change as the work changes. And I'm curious what you have noticed about your own approach to your work and the habits that support it. What sort of changes you've noticed in the first couple of years of running your business? Yeah, that's a great question. The biggest shift that I'm going through now, and I wouldn't say I've completely reach that point, but is time management. And I assume other businesses are similar to mine, at least service businesses or ones that produce, you know, art, artistic components, um, is that I, I dumped a lot of time into my initial projects. And I still do with, with projects that I look forward to or have potential to lead to other ones. But once my schedule is fully packed, I'll need to think about how much am I making an hour on this job in order to really live the life that I want to live. 
you know, and so I've already done budgeting and I know that what I'm doing now is not really sustainable to reach my income goal, which is not astronomical. I'm not, I'm not planning on being the next Bill Gates or anything, but I would like to live comfortably. And part of that means not being overly generous with my time and often being overly generous with my time is really my own fault getting excited about projects. But yeah, I'll I'll need to think more about what kind of budget people are willing to put in and then being realistic with them that, hey, if that's what you are willing to put forward or you're able to put forward, then this is what I'm able to provide you with. And then I'm a chatty person too. So when I go to people's houses to clean, there's a lot of time spent chatting and petting dogs and cats. That, I mean... I got lots of dogs and cats that look forward to my arrival. So I'll probably have to lay off a little bit on that sort of stuff. As my days get booked, you know, I'll just have to reduce the buffer time in between service calls. And it's not like jobs I've had in the past where, you know, I'm on someone else's (laughs) clock, you know, I'm a little more aware of that now, which now that I say that sounds bad, maybe to other employers that I've had, but yeah, that's the truth of it. Well, there's an ownership component when it's your own thing, for sure. Yeah, totally. An elevated ownership component, I should say. Yeah. And how have your how have your services shifted over the last couple of years or expanded or whatnot? And it, mm. and that question just simply comes from the reality of when we start a new business, we, we're always iterating, right? As businesses grow, we have to iterate the services. And part of it comes just from interacting with the market. Um, and part of it comes from what you mentioned about, you know, having certain financial goals and saying, okay, like I've tried this and these, these are the things that are profitable, but their profit margin is widely different. And what do I have to cut and where do I need to focus so that I can achieve the profit margin that I actually want and achieve my financial goals? Um, So I'm curious, like, how has that and you I mean, you can go into specifics or you can be like a little more broad if you want. But how have you had to iterate services or how have you seen your services change as you've interacted with the market? Yeah, so you're you're definitely right in the fact that I, I do think about like what services can I add um, I think you, yeah, that's absolutely the way most businesses grow. And when I started, I didn't re- really have any other visions other than setting up and cleaning aquariums for people. But this kind of ties into what I was talking about before in terms of being time efficient. My latest endeavor is setting up digital consultations. As much as I got into this business because I enjoy connecting with people and helping them get their aquariums to where they want. I have never had a 45-minute in-person consultation last 45 minutes. They usually last twice as long. And I think the digital consultations will help me plan better. They'll expand my potential clients or customers to anyone who has a computer and is interested in setting up a planted aquarium. And then not only am I offering the digital consultations now, but I'm offering design services. So let's say you want to have an aquarium set up, but you still want to be involved in it. You just need someone to walk you through it. Fortunately, technology is there these days, just like we're video chatting. Uh, I can sit there and look at someone's tank as they're setting it up and say, hey, maybe you want to move that rock over there or twist that wood around. And if you've never had an aquarium, you might think, well, That's kind of silly, like, why do you need this guy to tell you to move this rock or stick? But 
it's just like anything after setting up, I, I don't even know how many aquariums I've set up between working at different fish stores. And then I did this in college too, for a fish store, um, you know, maintaining tanks and then just myself, I've had so many, you know, hundreds of tanks over the years, you learn what looks good and what doesn't look good. And then also thinking about some of the rules that I've learned from Takashi Amano, the guy I spoke about initially, he has aesthetic rules that are in line with, I believe they're in line with a lot of Japanese gardening philosophies. You know, there are some guidelines to setting it up and I can help walk people through that and give them real-time feedback. So that's my latest thing that I'm trying out. And I have to say, if any of our listeners are thinking about getting an aquarium, I would highly recommend um, setting up a digital consult with you because there there is such an artistic component to it. And yes, I know you could get like the basic components of a tank and put it together yourself. But if you want it to look beautiful, unless you're one of those people who just has an eye for it, I'm sure there are people like that. But for the vast majority of us, myself included, um, I would never know how to stage a tank in the way that you do. And just like looking at the pictures on your website and on your YouTube channel, it's just amazing what you've been able to put together. So I have a related question about that too. And this is another thing that I see happen quite a bit in the entrepreneurial community, and especially when businesses are young. And that is that there is so much pressure to close the sale. <laughs> mm. um, and, and for understandable reasons, right? Entrepreneurs need to make money just like everybody else. They have bills to pay, right? Like that's, it's, it's, it's there. That's a reality of just this life. But at the same time, it's very, very, very common for that pressure to just feel so heavy that often people will sacrifice a long-term relationship or a long potential long-term client just to close the sale on something that they know, <laughs> like they had the gut feeling like this, it, it just isn't quite right, right? Like we're not the right fit and this isn't going to last. Or maybe sometimes even they're like, well, I don't necessarily know, but I'm just going to tell you that I can provide this because I just need to close the sale. Um, and so there's that tension between doing, you know, playing the long-term game and, and really um, being quite straightforward and candid about what you can and cannot do given the size and scale of your business at the moment. Um, and that pressure to to close the sale. And I'm I'm just wondering if you could maybe talk a little bit about sort of how you wrestle with that tension because it's it's a very real one and it's 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 hard. Yeah. So this industry I think is is very different. You're probably going to get a different answer from me than you would from a lot of other folks because for me it's not just about money. I mean, my biggest regrets are probably closing deals where I sacrificed my budget because I figured some income is better than no income. Mm -hmm. But where I will not cross the line is when it puts the fish's health in jeopardy. So my business isn't just about profit in the sense that I care a lot about the livestock that goes into the aquariums. I mean, I don't want to see plants die, but I don't really care, to be honest. I mean, they're plants. It's, it's a shame, but they don't suffer in the way that fish or shrimp or other critters like that do. You know, I remember working at fish stores, basically the only bad reviews I got were people like, oh, this guy didn't want to sell me this because he said it was going to die. It's like, well, why would you want to buy something that's going to die? That's not why you should have a fish tank in the first place. The goal is to really provide the best habitat that you can for the animals that you are intentionally buying. You know, they don't have a say in it. So for me, that's my biggest holdup in closing the sale with people when I don't feel like they're going to take care of them. And 
most people honestly are pretty open when I tell them that I'm like, Hey, you know, I got 30 years experience taking care of fish. I got a master's degree in biology. And I'm also just kind of insanely obsessed with this. Like I've spent so much time reading, watching videos, and there's a reason you're getting in touch with me. But there was one time where someone got in touch with me and she's like, oh yeah, my aquarium is not doing well right now. It's just a mess. I don't know what I'm doing. Can you set up another one for me? I offered to help her get her previous tank to where it was, but I I didn't set up a new tank for her because I didn't feel like that was going to be a safe, healthy environment for the fish. And that's one place where I, I don't sacrifice on closing the deal. I haven't in the past. And yeah, I'm proud of myself for not budging on that. Because yeah. as much as I do want to make money, you know, I really do care about the fish and I want them to be healthy and happy. And actually in line with that, one of the philosophies of my business that I try and really push on my clients is the size of fish they keep. I don't like seeing really big fish enclosed in boxes. I keep virtually all minnow sized fish, even in my four foot aquarium. And it adds so much life to the tank. It goes kind of back to another thing Takashi Amano has mentioned is putting scale into a tank. When you have small fish in a big tank, it makes that tank look so much bigger, like a flock of birds kind of in the distance. And it, it does add that extra dimension to the tank. Whereas if you have, you know, even a massive aquarium and you put a huge fish in there that can barely turn around, besides the ethical component of that, I don't think that's aesthetically pleasing. Well, I kind of love that you're you're calling people to, uh, I want to say like calling people to a higher level, but a little bit, you know, it's like, okay, here's here's the bare minimum of what you could do, but you could also do all of this. And not only will your tank look beautiful, but you're giving a really good life to to the fish and to all of the creatures that are living there. It really makes me happy when clients listen to my advice on stocking their tank and everyone gets along and they're healthy. Yeah, makes me happy to see that. Everything you've just talked about also makes me think about how important it is to have, to as a business owner or as an entrepreneur, to be very explicit about your own values. I mean, you talked about the fact that, okay, you know, I compromised a little bit on a, on the price of a job because some income better than no income. Maybe that was the right decision. Maybe not. Okay. It doesn't sound like maybe you've lost too much sleep over it, although maybe you'd make the decision differently if you did it again. Um, but like these, this is your value. These are your values, right? Like taking good care of the fish, making sure that they have a good life. And I'm not going to recommend that you do something that is bad for them. And being very explicit about that, I think at the beginning is so helpful because that way in those moments where where you do run into that tension, you've already said, this is what I value. This is what I'm going to do. This is what I'm willing to do. This is what I won't do. And the decision is already made. And I think a lot, I think a lot of entrepreneurs, they just don't even think about that when they're starting a business. And I got to imagine that that makes those hard decisions a lot easier. It does. Yeah. It's not really a decision for me. <laughs> yeah. Because that's one of the reasons I got into business was to show people how to do this properly. And I found actually one of the best ways to get around that is just to ask people questions that if they answer it wrong, then they seem like a jerk, you know, like, do you want to have unhealthy fish? Do you want your fish to kill each other? Do you want to wake up to a steamy pool of fish soup? Like stuff like that. People are never going to be like, yeah, I love 
I love that. You help them self-direct in a better direction, essentially. Yeah, you know? Yeah, exactly. Fish psychiatry. There you go. There yeah. you go. Aquatic <laughs> I love it. There's, there, there, there's your next business. <laughs> oh, gosh, yeah. <laughs> nice. Okay, so this is, a, this is more of a broad question, but it's something that I, I like to ask. Some of the people who listen to this show maybe aren't entrepreneurs themselves, but they have friends and family members who, for whatever mysterious reason, have chosen this path. <laughs> mm. And um, I, I get this question a lot, like, what, what do I do? How on earth do I support this person, this person being the entrepreneur who has decided to, you know, step out and, and take this risk and start a business? And so it's a question that I like to pose to my entrepreneur friends is what's one piece of advice that you would give to the friends and family members of a first-time entrepreneur of one way that they can help support the entrepreneur while they're going through this launch and the early stages of a new business? Yeah, totally. I was actually just speaking about this with one of my clients. I think one of the best things you can do is to help get the word out there especially if it's a local business and you've lived in said town or city for your whole life, then you probably know someone who might be interested in that service, whether it's just reposting their stuff on Facebook or Instagram, whatever social media platform you're on, commenting, liking. It seems silly, you know, but those little things make a big difference. I remember when I had some friends that started their business, you know, which actually kind of gave me the confidence to start this business. They've worked really hard at it, but seeing them take off, you know, I would go around and post flyers in my office for their business, stuff like that. Um, and then around campus at Colorado State University, just getting the word out there is really the most important thing. You can't expect your friends to literally sell a job for you, but at least getting the word out there is such an easy thing to do. And uh, maybe if you start a business one day, that'll give you some experience. So, you know, <laughs> yep. think about it that way. And I'm also wondering if you have any advice for people who are, um, you know, maybe they've got they've got a hobby or they've got, you know, they're, they're really they're really just on the edge. They're like, I'm really thinking that I might I might try. I might try to make this a business. I, I might take the step. It might be at that tipping point. Suggestions you would give to people like that for seeking out advice or seeking out experiences that will help. Like you mentioned that you had a job for a little while to help you learn some business skills because you're like, I, I got the aquariums, like that's good. We're good there. But I, I know that there's, you know, that I could still build up my skills in the business area. Um, and you mentioned these friends as well. And I think like the people that we have around us is so important and it's so important to have the right community. Um, so I'm, I guess I'm wondering two things. One, if you could just talk a little bit about the types of people that you have purposefully um, sought out advice yourself from, and then any suggestions that you would have for other entrepreneurs about how to build a circle like that for themselves if they don't have one yet. Yeah, I think it was pretty incredible how I landed in this job, mostly because I was dissatisfied with my old job. I decided I would, you know, whatever, for a year, I'd do this executive assistant position, even though that job was not a good fit for me because of whatever reasons, I learned so much from the business owner. I don't think that I would have learned that much 
going to business school because I learned real life applications. Not only did I learn how to do them on paper, but I actually did all of those things myself. I did the marketing for the business. I learned, you know, not being someone who's on social media a lot. I like watching YouTube videos, but that's education and entertainment for me. It's not like promoting my stuff or even like, hey, look what I ate for lunch or this cool hike I went on. I do all, you know, I enjoyed my lunch and hike, but I just don't post about it. So learning that stuff was challenging for me. How to run payroll. I don't have employees, but I run payroll for myself. If you're thinking about paying yourself, you need to know that for every dollar you make, you don't make a dollar. You make like whatever, 60 cents or something like that. Right. Um, Depends on your income bracket, but you need to think about what do you want to do yourself? and What do you want to outsource? So I'm very much so the type of person right now because I have some time and I don't have that much money. I'm like, I'll do everything myself. But payroll is not something I want to do myself. I absolutely despise it. So I have a payroll company I go through. That for me is the one thing I outsource. I do literally everything else, marketing, taxes, you name it. But figuring out if you can afford someone to help you be smart about who that person is, you know. Yeah, I would like to get to a place where I could um, delegate a little bit more and focus more on just setting up aquariums for people, closing the deal, consultations, that sort of stuff. But until my schedule is fully booked up, I'm not going to be able to afford that. So I'm happy learning the ropes right now. Yeah. So there, there's a couple of things that popped into my head while you were talking. Um, and one is that I I so appreciate your mindset about the the period of time when you said t- you took that executive assistant position. And I, I don't know, I mean, and, and I don't know how, how enjoyable it was in the moment, but um, just the whole idea of being very cognizant of, hey, there are some things that I don't know yet. And there's, you know, there's different ways to go about learning those skills. Yes, you can go to business school. That's one option. And for some people, that might be a great option. Um, But for others, maybe it's not. And the idea of like purposefully saying, I'm going to go do a job, maybe it's not my forever job. And it might even be hard or frustrating in the moment, but I'm doing it for the purpose of learning these skills that I know that I lack. I think one, I think that requires a lot of humility, but I think it's also a great way to get your hands dirty. And even even if you're intending to outsource those things, ultimately, being able to just learn just enough that you can, you know, have some intelligent conversations with the people to whom you would be outsourcing the work, I think that's also really gives you a heads up. Yeah. I want to know if I'm hiring someone, are they doing a better job than I can do? Good. Because that'll make me feel like my money's being well spent. Right. Right. And if it's someone who's in that profession, then I'm assuming they probably can do a better job. Yeah. And so the other thing that um, popped into my my mind is that um, earlier this year, there was a new book that came out by Dan Martell called Buy Back Your Time. And I think I, I, I think he's an angel investor now, but he, he was a serial entrepreneur and kind of early in his career. Um, the book is called Buy Back Your Time. And it's all it's, it's a book very much about like at what point in the journey should entrepreneurs start outsourcing various things or you could call it delegating or you could call it hire, you know, hiring staff or certain things, whatever that case may be. But like at what point should you stop doing certain things? And so he's he's got um, he's got some really interesting like like uh, now exercises, but he, he even ha- he has like a little a formula of like, here's probably financially about when it would make sense for you to look at hiring someone else or outsourcing something. Um, and it's just it's just really interesting reads. So I just wanted to throw that out there for listeners in case um, in case any of them are also 
in that space where they're wondering, is it time for me to to let somebody else take this. Um, the other thing about that book that I thought was really interesting is that Dan Martell's ideal about, maybe not his ideal, but um, his idea about when to let somebody else take over something is he says, if they're 80% as good as you, it's okay. 80% as good as me. Whoa. I'd be, I'd be passing over a lot of responsibilities at this point. <laughs> Yeah, well, and, and if it has to financially make sense as well. It's yeah. like both of those things, right? But it was interesting because I, I, I think the reason that he said that is because a lot of entrepreneurs sometimes like there's so much ownership, right? Like it's your business, you built it. And sometimes you're like, oh, I don't know if this person cares as much as me. I don't know if they could do 100% what I could do. And he's like, you know what, if they can do 80% of it, it frees up your time. You're going to invest that time. Your time is going to bring in, you know, more revenue if you're using it well, like 80%. That's what you aim for, 80%. Um, and people may agree or not agree on that percentage, but I just thought it was an interesting, an interesting target. Yeah. And it's interesting to think about it that way, because in my mind, I hadn't even considered like a skill percentage ratio to my scalability as part of the equation. For me, it's simply a time thing. Mm -hmm. um, and this is kind of the rule I have in my head if, or I say, I should say when my business gets to a point where I'm not able to do something because I'm limited on time, then that's a point to think like, well, what should I be hiring someone else to do? And basically I'm willing to hire anyone when, once I reach that point that I talked about, Mm -hmm. to do literally anything that's not freshwater aquariums because that's what I want to do. That's why I started this business. That's what I'm really good at. That's what I can help people with the most and is the most fulfilling for me. I mean, don't get me wrong, putting up a good ad that sees good return on my in investment makes me feel good, but it's kind of fun, right? Yeah. Not as good as seeing, you know, a fully established, super awesome aquarium. Yeah. That really makes me feel good. Yeah. I think noticing the types of work that give us energy is also really important. Like you mentioned, you mentioned time management, which of course is, is so important. I mean, it can't really be overstated. And I think alongside that is energy management. You know, I mean, we, we all have to do certain things that drain our energy because that's just part of owning a business, but the hope and the desire and the goal is to put the majority of our time in the things that actually energize us. It's kind of why we started business in the first place, right? Or one yeah, definitely. My last set of questions for you, they, there's two of them, but they kind of go hand in hand. Again, this is just, this is part and parcel of being an entrepreneur is that there are some days where it feels like you go all in and you have given your absolute best and you get to the end of the day and it just doesn't work out. And, you know, welcome to owning a business. And there are other days where it works out amazingly well and it can be a small thing or a big thing, but it's just, you're like, I nailed it today. You know, like this is, this is what it's all about and leaving the day on a high. Um, and I'm just wondering, I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit about what do you do in those, on those hard days to sort of like recenter yourself and remind yourself that like, it's okay. This happens. This is part of the journey. I'm going to get up tomorrow. We're going to go at it again. I'm curious what you do on those days. And I'm curious what you do to celebrate the milestones or the days that go really well. Because I think as entrepreneurs, sometimes we just gloss right over those. And I think it's really important, even if it's a small thing, to take a moment, acknowledge the wins and celebrate them and then get ready to go to the next thing. So right now, I guess the, the biggest thing on my mind is, is financial stuff. 
because I'm kind of at this cusp with my business growing, kind of on the verge of needing a part-time job. Maybe I can get by, maybe I can't. Mm -hmm. So, Which is very common as in the early yeah. years of a new business. Yep. Yeah. So right now, the biggest wins for me are when I close a deal that's routine cleaning because that's reliable income, mm -hmm. right? My biggest jobs are usually moving aquariums, but those are not routine jobs. That's a one and done ton of work, but they pay out really well. So my biggest victories that I feel really great about at the end of the day are when people want me to come by and clean their tank every two weeks. That makes me so happy because I'm growing a sustainable income that way. I don't know that I have like really hard days in particular. There are more periods that I go through where I have financial concerns. I just have to remind myself that there's a reason I did this and I have to have faith in myself. And, you know, I mean, you know, my partner, Jennifer, mm -hmm. um, which is how we met people curious, you know, listening, but she's been really supportive of me. And it, it's nice to know that someone who who is like really on top of her life feels confident that I'm going to get there with this. So, you know, even from the get go, and maybe other people were like, what the hell is this guy doing? Like giving up his career, like quitting a job to clean fish tanks. My kid used to do that or whatever, you know, <laughs> like mm. it's good to, yeah, it's good to have someone else tell you um, that you can do it because the hardest parts for me are doubting myself. Well, I, I appreciate that candor, Mike. And I, I think it's, it's important to hear because I, I have yet to meet a single entrepreneur who does not freak out about the finances <laughs> on a fairly not, regular right? basis. Even, even ones that have angel investors who have invested millions and millions of dollars into their company, they're Oof. still freaking out too. Um, yeah. And it, it's just in, in and I, I don't say that to downplay it at all, but just to recognize that that is part of it. And having a partner who believes in you, who, who is, you know, who believes that you can do it and knows that you will figure it out is is huge having a circle of people whether it's your partner or not but again just like that that system of support and then i think just the reality that sometimes it is necessary uh to go and and work other jobs it might be like a gig gig job part-time job might be a full-time job whatever the case may be um and there's no shame in that you know i mean if you're going to take a job we say take it and do it well <laughs> you know don't just be like you're a source of money for me while i while i do this other thing like take the job and do it well honor that job and that commitment but that's just that's a part of the process and there's absolutely no shame in it and um yeah i just i think that's really important to note yeah definitely i I've definitely not spoken with as many entrepreneurs as yourself, but I, I would imagine I don't see how there's any way around those stresses. Yeah. I mean, it's it's a risk that you take that hopefully pays off. And the one thing that I think that I keep telling myself that I hear from other people that I try and beat into my head, which applies to actually most things in life, is the best way to be successful is just to not give up. So... Mm. I mean, it was like that with like going to school, for example, if you just put your mind to it and focus, you can get it done. I'll have those friends that horsed around a lot and took longer than they should have. And Slow um, and steady wins the race, right? Yeah. Yeah. Totally. I'll end on this. There's a quote by Sally Jenkins, who is, um, she's a sports writer, um, like a She's a sports writer is what she does. Um, but she has a book out that came out recently called The Right Call, What Sports Teach Us About Work and Life. And she has the saying that I think she said she heard from her dad, and that is that people who bet on themselves tend to win. Mm. And it doesn't necessarily, it doesn't mean that it's like things turn out the way you envisioned them. I mean, I feel like 
inevitably they don't. But it's that people, I think, I think my take on it is that the people who bet on themselves tend to win because people who bet on themselves think to themselves, I'm just going to figure it out and I'm going to do what it takes to get there in the end. Yes. Yeah, yeah. You need to, even if you're not really confident, you need to act that way because people will also pick up on that. Like, are you sure you're the right person to hire? Uh, I don't know. Maybe. Yeah. And you know what? If you're feeling yourself, they're not going to feel you. Yeah. Yeah. Confidence is important, right? Which, which comes from experience for sure. But there's also like, I say all the time that there's, there's always room in the market for excellence. Like if you're committed to figuring it out and you're committed to figuring out a way to do the work with excellence, there's space in the market for you. Yeah. For most things, there's, there's probably a handful of, of, of businesses yeah. that just there's there's not a market need for it, period. So I'm, I'm not speaking about those, but <laughs> in <Yeah>. general, <laughs> there's always exceptions. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. Well, Mike, this was this was such a good conversation. I'm so happy that you were willing to come on the show and, and share about your experience. Um, If our listeners want to get in touch with you, if they want to check out your services, schedule a digital consult, et cetera, where should they go to find you online? Uh, they can either email me, michael at freshflowaquatics.com, or they can hop on my website, www.freshflowaquatics.com. Have a look around, services, portfolio is a good idea. I usually suggest people have a look at that, see what tank they like, and then that can kind of spur a conversation and um, you know guide me to get them going in the direction they want. Awesome. And we'll put a, all those links in the show notes as well so people can find awesome. it. Awesome.